0: do with it. Once back in a trade route, his job would be simply not to fall fatally asleep in the path of an unstoppable tanker before hailing something more likely to be charitably interested in him. Eventually he would collect a certain amount of credit and publicity, but not, unfortunately, remunerative publicity for managing to turn up alive. Of course, a Sunday paper might buy his story. There would be a small something in that. Hunched by the idle wheel, Arthur Povey brooded. Alone on a wide, wide sea, he brooded for a long time. Not that he was unconscious of some action as being required of him fairly quickly. The bloody sun at noon, and here his sole working capital, his imagination was at work again, would very soon operate on his brother's body in an undesirable way. The sun breeds maggots in a dead dog— being a god-kissing carrion. Or a good-kissing carrion, Arthur crazily told himself, recalling some fragment of his expensive and useless education. Hygiene called for the rapid disposal of Charles. Decency and piety required the rummaging out of some scrap of sailcloth and the stitching of the body into it before consignment to the deep. There was even something in the Book of Common Prayer that one ought to read aloud first— the Poveys were English gentlemen, and had been well brought up. It seemed doubtful, however, whether the mod cons ran to such a volume. Nautical manuals and a few mildly erotic paperbacks constituted, so far as he could remember, the entire library the gay phoenix boasted. Arthur Povey scowled. The contracting of his forehead brought on an extra stab of pain, and again his fingers went to the back of his head, to the spot which— On his brother's head, he didn't propose if he could help it to look again. A less uncultivated man than Charles, he was always irritated when he remembered that Charles' trim craft bore that peculiarly idiotic name, the Gay Phoenix. There had been a time when Charles had indulged a rich man's fancy for owning racehorses, and it seemed to be a convention that you could call such brutes any nonsensical thing you pleased. Yachts ought to be different. Arthur Povey, being a person of exact sensibility, was very clear about that. This trivial displeasure was scarcely one to take up much time, and he was therefore startled when he suddenly noticed what was happening to the now swiftly moderating sea. That vast, unharvested deep had taken to sliding up to and beneath the gay phoenix in a tumble of molten golden guineas, A perfectly familiar phenomenon, but one declaring that the sun had dropped almost to the horizon. He had been sitting immobile and paralysed for hours. The discovery frightened him. It frightened him because it told him he was frightened, that shock had been succeeded by blind terror. Charles had died. Charles had suffered death by misadventure something the possibility of which one was always theoretically aware of, but the actual enactment of which before one's eyes appeared a brute and incredible thing. It was, after a fashion, a natural death, yet it now seemed unnatural in the highest degree, a stroke so arbitrary as to induce ungovernable fear when one tried to focus it. Why had the Dark Angel chosen Charles? Equally it might have chosen him— he felt like a man who had been playing Russian roulette with a revolver, every second chamber of which held a live bullet. He had pulled the trigger, and there had been nothing but a click. The issue might have been a shattering oblivion. But he was also paralysed like this because he was in the grip of two contradictory impulses before the problem of Charles' body. He loathed it— so that he wanted to jump up, seize it cruelly by the heels, and pitch it without more ado to the sharks. At the same time he couldn't bear even to think of parting with it. Inert matter, though it was, it yet seemed all that was left to him of the breathing world. With Charles gone, loneliness would be his sole companion. Yet these were unmanly thoughts and emotions. They just wouldn't do— Arthur Povey managed to take a deep breath. His lungs were still in working order. It was his duty to keep them that way. It was even his duty to find them, if possible, a larger air. In life, his brother Charles had been disposed to do precious little for him.